Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the E podcast. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News alongside Justin Cohn from the Fort Wayne Journal Gazette. Justin, because you usually stump me on trivia, all things considered, I want to see if I can maybe stump you or honestly, I'm now getting more convinced you could probably answer this with a little trivia because this is rare. I don't usually have ECHL trivia for you. ECHL trivia it sounds like a scary subject because you got so many players and so many years, but bring it on. Especially when you're a nerd like me that likes stats. So remember goaltender uh, goals saved above average? I don't think I'll ever forget your favorite analytic. Yes. Exactly. So if you had to guess over the last five years, who do you think is the best under 24 goal saved against average per game goalie? Over that entire span, yeah, or for uh, just sorry. one season, for one season, for single season. Uh, I'm going to say John Leatherman. Nope, Toledo. No, um, under 24 years old. Yeah, under 24. Mm. I'll give you two more guesses. Sebastian Cosa. No. Just sticking with the Leo. Uh, warm, warmer, warmer, because this person does have accolade, I guess I should say. Should say. Hmm. Uh, uh, Francois Broussard. Nope. I'll give you one. Yeah, I knew I, was, I, I knew I wasn't going to get this. I thought it was obvious. <laughs> Ooh, okay, I'll give you one hand. I'll give you one hand. Probably the, in recent years, one of the best five years. Okay, within five years. Not Bennington. But one of the best goalies come out of the E recently. Okay, not Bennington, because that would have been my next guess. Um, boy, I feel really foolish right now. Um, and it's not Pat Nagel, because he would be a little more elderly for that conversation. This person is in the NHL. Right now. <laughs> I'm going to blank. This is such bad radio. <laughs> I give up. Who is it? Logan Thompson. Logan Thompson. Okay. Yes. I should have known that. How many games did he play in the ECHL? 32. 32. Okay. As a 22 year old. It's not a huge body of work, though. In my defense. 32 games? I mean, but here's the the reason that I. uh, This is really embarrassing because, you know, Comets were a Vegas affiliate for a while. That is true. But not at that that point. Well, the, the point, I think the reason you have to include the smaller sample sizes is if you don't you're taking away the guys like Thompson that do well, that do so well that they earn a promotion, right? So you're right. There is a bit of push and pull with that. But yeah, Thompson, number one, number two, Adam Scheel from last season. So I Adam thought Adam Scheel, yeah. That's, that's number two, too. yeah. Um, and actually number three is Remy Poirier, who is also on the Steelheads. Yeah, well, and they've had such good defenses too in Idaho. So I right. would have thought that might have affected your your metric in the other direction, right? Well, yeah, they did have good defense, but in fairness to those guys, like they were pretty good goalies. Yeah. And they did. Help. Well, that's, that's bad. I'm, I'm not good at ECHL trivia. I, I should have been up front. With I don't know. I don't know why that is. I think it's, it's fair. I mean, this wasn't even in fairness. I don't know how much this would constitute as trivia. So I'll give yeah, you that. But, you know, I should know that, but yeah, I'm I just did not put good you at... on the spot on a podcast. So can, can I claim senility? Since sure. I'm the old guy in the room? Okay, absolutely. Well, I'll, I'll do that. No, that's good. I, I should, uh, it's kudos to you. It's a good question, and I did very poorly. 
you did. But you know what you are good at, my friend. You may not be the best at trivia, but you do know this league pretty well. You love, you know a lot of the intricacies. You know what you love, what you hate. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about things we would fix in the ECHL and things we would, sorry, things that we love um, to start this out. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I understand it's sort of a uh, gelatinous question, if you will, because there are so many different things you can talk about, especially when you're talking about a double A level of hockey. But for me, you know, what what makes people happy? I think that you want to find at this level a really good mix of finding the best product you can for the fans. You want to optimize the development of the NHL prospects because at the end of the day, that's what the ECHL is for. It's a developmental league. And so, like you're saying, Logan Thompson, guys like that, you want to make this the great proving ground to get them to the next level and maybe the NHL. Uh, I think that you want the ECHL to be a prime destination for free agent players. You know, we've talked to guys who have gone over to Europe, guys who have come back. Um, you want them to not go to Europe. You want them to be in the ECHL and mm-hmm. continue to have those top North American prospects. And a big thing that I think people don't talk about enough, like when fans sit there and debate the things they like or the things they would change at this league, you have to remember it has to be lucrative for the people owning the teams. And yeah, I almost feel sorry for them because, you know, team owners, they, they hear so many gripes, you know, scheduling or we don't have the right players. You know, these guys have to make money, right? Like for the most part, these are small businesses and, you know, maybe you're not getting enough promotions. Maybe you're not getting enough giveaways. Maybe there isn't a team store that is open 12 months out of the year. Well, you got to remember some, somebody owns this team and it's got to be worth their while money-wise and maybe having a couple jerseys and having somebody staffing the team store in the middle of July isn't a great money maker for you. Like yeah. I see fans complain about that. Like oh, I, I can't buy a, a hat for this team in, in July. What what's going on here? Well, can't you order online? Open. Well, not always. It's it's small businesses. Like right. I know, um, you know, I know teams where they don't have a year round team store. Uh, I know teams where they will not ship overseas. I mean, there are all sorts of things that they deal with, and it's easy for fans to sit there and think, oh, it's going to be just like the Detroit Red Wings. Like I can get my merch any time of year. Um, but again, small businesses, not everything is easy. So, but let me ask you a question though, about that, just onto that point, you want to be a developmental league, but then there's also what you just mentioned has to be lucrative for people owning it. So we talk about what we love for the ECHL. Isn't it kind of more the second point, like in terms of it being a business and in terms of the, the, like competing to win stuff like that? Like, would you say that you love the ECHL because the development, I, I, I would think not. I, there are some people that do, but I agree with you. No, I mean, yeah, that's if, what I'm just if, if I were just a fan, that is not something that would necessarily concern me. But you know, it, it has to have a relationship with these higher level teams, right? Like and something like you what mentioned is, last episode with like even the patches or like something where you kind of have that visibility that you have that affiliation like actually in front of your face. Yeah, I mean, if you want to get players, you have to develop them. Otherwise, the NHL and the AHL, at some point, they would take their show someplace else. So I understand what you're saying. I totally agree with it. As a fan, me personally, I would be unconcerned about development. I can tell you in the market that I cover the most in Fort Wayne, all they really care about is winning. 
Like you could say, we're not going to have a single NHL prospect here for the next 10 years, but you're going to win multiple championships. And the fans would be like, fine, sign me up. Now there are some other markets and there's definitely other sports where that's all they care about. Mm -hmm. So there are all these different things you have to balance. So if the topic of this conversation is things we'd fix and things we love, you have to factor all those things in because it's easy for me to say, well, Hey, uh, you know, make the rules so that every team can have multiple enforcers, but you as a guy who is, you know, not as much on board with that and likes the development, you'd be like, well, Hey, but then nobody's going to send their prospects there mm-hmm. if they're going to get beat up every night. Right. So that's just one example of the things you have to balance for purposes of this conversation. If that makes sense. For sure. Now, one thing you make a good point about, you've said this a lot in the show, the playoff format, you like the playoff format in the ECHL. I do. So, you know, you, you'll probably be able to educate me a little bit more on what the AHL system is right now. Uh, but in the ECHL, they still do best of sevens. Right. Okay? That's something I am passionate about, especially in hockey. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was a, a kid, I'll be honest, I used to hate that the NBA would have best of five in the first round and then they would go to best of seven for the subsequent rounds. And the reason I hated it is because you're basically saying to me as a fan that that first round is less important when to me, it really should be more important. Like the goal to me is we want to determine who's the best team. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, you shouldn't make it easier for there to be an upset in the first round. Right. So, I mean, I understand that's my personal opinion. It's the same reason I don't like some of the wild card things we're doing in baseball and whatnot. So I feel like at this level, they could have easily at some point said, hey, we're, we just kind of want to get the season over or whatever. We're going to make them best of three. We're going to make them best of five. But no, they're like, we are sticking with best of seven. Sometimes it's 2-2-1-1-1. Sometimes it's 2-3-2, whatever. That's a travel issue. But I do like that they are continuing to have the long series because it feels like hockey. I mean, I covered For game sure. sevens the last two years. Nothing's better than game seven and hockey. Uh, I like that they've stuck to that. I like that four teams from every division make it so that we have 16 teams. Now, I understand some people say that that might be too much. Again, at this level, I think that is has a lot to do with making money. You know, mm-hmm. like as many teams as possible, they want that extra gate in the playoffs. They want at least those extra two home games, hopefully more. Uh, so, I, I do like that. Now, I mean, you tell me in the in the AHL now, don't they have some some different systems, some different formats, or am I misremembering? No, you're correct. They have the play in round, which is best of three, and then there's a best of five, and then you start a best of seven, which it's so unfortunate because okay, take away the play in round because that's just that's just bonus hockey, right? Like whatever you want to do play in round, sure. But once the playoffs start, it should be best of seven, I think. And I think that what the E does really well is when you have a seven-game series, you mentioned game sevens, those overtime games, whether it's like just a, uh, the first 10 seconds of overtime or quadruple overtime and you got guys eating hot dogs and pizzas in the locker room, it adds visibility for the league, right? If you have a clip of a massive game winner, people love that. If you like the sport of hockey, whether you follow the E or not, those type of clips are going to get major attention from big outlets, and that's big overall for the league's visibility, I would say. 
Yeah, I mean, there are some things with the visibility that I still think they could improve. I mean, since we'll get you, to that. You, yeah, but we'll get you're right. That. I mean, yeah, I mean, game game sevens, absolutely. Um, I mean, just you saying play in game, though, it just it elicits a response for me. I feel like was it last year, maybe that Bakersfield had a play in game. I, I just remember one of the yeah. AHL affiliates, I, I was, you know, the Fort Wayne was connected to, it was like, eh, we. We've got more hockey, and then it was like we're done. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's pretty like, brief. I, I don't know. Like, what? What is the? What's the virtue of a play play in game at the, the minor league level? Well, I can say for the AHL, the reason would be that you're implementing, you're making it so that more teams than not have a chance to play high stakes hockey, and which is what NHL teams want from their prospects. You make it just a three-game series because you don't want to, you know, damage integrity, and you don't want to be like everyone makes the playoffs. But you get that little bit of that sort of mini series that these guys can play high stakes games. I don't hate it. I just think that once the playoffs start, you should go like officially start no play, and you got to have a best of seven. I think. Um, just one more thing with the playoff format. You like so the HL sixteen teams or whatever make it, but there is the play in, which is technically playoffs, whatever. But you like how they have the ECHL that sixteen teams make the playoffs. And there's no crossovers and wild cards and stuff like that. Yeah. And I used to cover, you know, I've covered a lot of different leagues. I've covered a lot of different formats and I covered one of the best teams. So this is, I think going United hockey league. Um, It was the best team in league history to not make the playoffs because whatever the format was that year, they were, you know, I don't remember how many points it was, but they were way above 500, like a winning percentage of like 650. And they didn't make the playoffs because there was not a crossover, uh, uh, you know, a wild card rule. So I have seen that element of it, but it feels different in this league because you can't compare a team. You can't easily compare the rigors of the schedule and the play of a team that's out playing in the mountain division versus one in the South division, if yeah. that makes sense. No, You're totally. playing most of your games within the division. So I, I don't like the crossover because you could see how many points the system would be skewed. So because we're playing the multitude of our games within the division, I like that we're determining the playoff teams all within the division. And then you move on. It's easy to understand. It's easy to follow. I have yet to really see the team in my decade, I guess, covering this league that didn't make the playoffs. And I felt like they got kind of screwed by the the playoff format. I haven't really seen that because with 16 teams, everybody that should get in is getting in and, and then some. So I'm okay with it right now. And I, a part of what I like is I want understandability for the fans. I want, you know, the yeah, 70 year old, the 70 year old fan who's been a season ticket holder for 50 years at Fort yeah. Wayne, I want him to know, to understand, you know, the playoff sure. race and everything. Absolutely. But I don't know. That could be a generational thing for me, too. No, I think uh, you have some point there. Um, another thing that I really think that we agree on a lot is going back to the development thing, the coaches. There is a, a proven path from being an ECHL head coach to going to the higher ranks. I talked to Derek Nesbitt, Gladiators head coach, longtime Gladiator as well. And he was saying, I talked to him for a story for the Hockey News, uh, the magazine, which is coming out. You want to check it out? 
And uh, Nesbitt made a really good point about how when he was looking at coaching, right, he looked at South Carolina, how they had Jared Bednar, Spencer Carberry, and that sort of pipeline of guys that will end their careers there, go into coaching. And as we've touched on, but I want you to expand on, when you're an ECHL coach, you become prepared for everything. And then some, you know, I yeah. mean, remember when we had uh, Luchuk on, you know, a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about Colin Chalk when he was yeah. you know, coaching in Brampton. Now that, of course, is an outlier, but he had his hands in every part of the organization. And that does help you moving forward. If you have a better understanding of how immigration work visas work and all the little things that everybody behind the scenes at bigger operations has to go through in booking mm-hmm. hotels and travel. I do think that helps you. Now, that's a, a crazy story. That's overwhelming. But you do at this level really have to get you know down in the dirt and figure out what makes players tick, how to manage rosters under unbelievable situations, whether it's travel, injuries, whatnot. You have to have your finger on the pulse of everything. And as you move up, to the AHL or the NHL and you have a better, a bigger infrastructure to assist you. I do think that knowledge that you've gained at the low level is irreplaceable. And, you know, to your point about Nesbitt, you know, I do think there is, I think it could get better, but I do think there is something of a pipeline for coaches to move up as part of that is building relationships within the NHL organizations that you're Mm -hmm. working with. Um, You know, I, I haven't seen a ton of it yet, but I can think of situations with Fort Wayne coaches where they have had really good relationships with the higher ups in the AHL team or the NHL team. And then, you know, what happens is you start wondering, well, are they going to get hired away next year? Is that going to happen? But something else that's going on is a lot of the AHL teams are now bringing in the ECHL coaches to assist them during training. Yes. Yeah. And whatnot or even the NHL teams during developmental camps. And I don't know how much the ECHL coaches are actually doing there. I mean, I've seen different things and heard different things, but if nothing else, they're getting the experience. They're seeing how other people are doing things at that level so that when they move up themselves, they already know kind of how it works. So I do think a lot of the growing relationships between the NHL teams and the ECHL teams is going to continue to benefit the coaches. Absolutely. And one last positive before we become very negative, and some people may start to tune out of the show um, or tune in. Who knows? Depends your stance. Um, there's some awesome branding and logos in this league. Yes. Uh, I mean, we we did a whole episode on, on great, great names. Um, you know, I, I like it. You know, it's uh, people always talk about minor league baseball as having all of this sort of kooky marketable names. Uh, I feel like hockey is not far behind, you know, when it's, you know, Greenville Swamp Rabbits or, mm. uh, you know, or Florida Everblades or whatnot. So, you know, there are a lot of different, um, you know, merchandise and, and stuff that I think appeals to people who aren't just living in those cities. And so I think they're doing a good job in that respect. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think they're on the right track. You know, I, there isn't. They're not just adopting for most in most cases, the names and the colors and whatnot of the NHL, AHL teams. They're kind of going their own way. And the more unique you are at this level, the more you're going to be able to sell stuff, you know, frankly, Mm -hmm. and the more people are going to want to talk about you. All right. Now let's get our uh, our summit hat on and let's start our 
discussion on what we'd fix in the ECHL. And the first, well, it should be clear, those are not the only things that we like. I mean, there are a lot course. of other things. Those there are just are, you, a few big ones. Yes. Yes. There's plenty we like about the league. Um, and these aren't the only things that we don't like, right? These are just some things that we'd fix. And to be constructive, I want to start out by talking on a point you mentioned that we're going to talk about, which is expanding rosters, right? What about the idea of doing a practice squad? Uh, I don't hate that idea because yeah, yeah, I haven't really given that much thought, but I like it. Here's my thought, how we'd fix this. You have a practice squad and just like the way the NFL does it, if the HL or another E club calls and signs them, you have no, you you can't veto that. Right. But in the interim, you can have them skate with you another body in practice. Um, the players alternatively aren't in that limbo between jobs and you could essentially call them up or whatever way you want to do it. And I think it would sort of alleviate a lot of the issues that happen when, you know, you have to trim your roster. No. Yeah, no, I like that idea. I, I guess I'd kind of thought about goalies, like ways for teams to have just, just love the e-bug. That's what you want. So, you just want an well, I want a little bit more than the e You want a want backup every, every, bullpen yeah, back catcher. Yes. But I, your practice squad ideas is, is a good one. I mean, I could tell you, the the downside is that you know you still got to pay them and our team's going to want to pay those guys um i mean unless you're thinking they're going to do it for free but i don't think that's ever going to happen and you know then you got to deal with insurance and all those things um but yeah i mean look the 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 roster size is an issue and they did bump it up recently and especially for the first month of the season you can carry an extra guy now so everybody, it's it's striking this delicate balance between how many guys do we want every team to have to pay a salary for versus dealing with the multitude of call-ups and injuries and everything that they're having to deal with at this level. So what's the perfect number? I, I don't know that anybody's found it. You know, right now we're at, I believe it's 21 plus another three. Um, you know, it's just, if you expanded it a little bit, Call-ups wouldn't be such an issue. Mm-hmm. Carrying a third goalie wouldn't be such an issue. And I've long thought, well, maybe you just expand the roster, but that last spot has to be for a third goalie because I think that's the biggest thing that people are concerned about. What happens if you're caught without a goalie and you got to get an e-bug or something like that? But I also think it would be nice if you could carry a utility player that's, you know, whether it's an enforcer, whatever you want to do, a power play specialist, I don't know. I just know that right now the product suffers a little more often than it should because teams are having to play two or three men short, or sometimes they're down to as few as 14. I've seen it. And I would like that to not be such a big issue moving forward, especially in the playoffs. For sure. Scheduling. We can make some switches. Maybe no more three and threes. Um, Maybe, you know, diversified a bit. What's your take on how we can fix this thing? I mean, the single biggest thing that this league needs to get rid of is probably three and threes. Now, I'm sure somebody's going to hear this and call me and tell me I'm totally wrong, that the owners are all in favor of three on three and threes because they want the money made from playing Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I get it. But I'm thinking about the players here and I'm thinking about the fans. Okay, for the players, it's brutal. You know, because yeah. you're not playing three and three in the same town very often. Right. So it's often, let's get on a bus, let's go to Kalamazoo, go two hours each way, then let's get back to Fort Wayne, play on Saturday, 
Then we got to get on the bus right after that game to bus over to Wheeling another six hours to play a three o'clock game on Sunday. And that's probably one of the easier three and threes that I could come up with, with, with two row games. So you're asking for injuries. You're asking for unhappy players and you're asking for the product in those Sunday games to right. not be as good as they were in those Friday Saturdays. But do you find them to be snooze fest when you're covering a Sunday? Not a snooze Usually, fest. Usually, I mean that's no, maybe too bold, but no, it's fine. That's that's the term that we tend to use. I mean, yeah, you can tell. You can usually tell right away too. Right. Um, you know what that Sunday game is going to be like, and you know different teams use different times too. You know, some of them play at five o'clock, some of them play at three. Um, you know, so I just, I've never liked it. I just, it doesn't sit well with me. I understand that's where the money is, but there's a reason other leagues aren't doing three and threes. And that's because it's really not fair to the people having to participate in. Um, the other point with scheduling is, you know, I know I I just kind of lauded part of playing the most of your games within the division. And I do think you should, but you can still diversify things a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, if you look at any team schedule, you know, they might be playing 15 games against the same team and that can be a little too challenging. Um, and sometimes you're not, you know, like Fort Wayne, if they're going to be playing a team 15 times, it better be the team that is closest geographically to them. And that's either Toledo or Kalamazoo. But for whatever reason, it doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes it's Wheeling, which is the second farthest in the in the division. So, But the biggest thing when I say diversify scheduling is the ECHL does not do a great job of recognizing if there is a budding rivalry and continuing to schedule it. So, you know, Fort Wayne had something going with Allen. And then they don't play them for years. For Fort Wayne Rapid City, I mean, yeah, that but the was, rosters change. Doesn't matter. Well, the, so what? It completely it's, matters it's a, in a rivalry. It's about it's about the fans. It's what the fans want to see. Okay, yeah. but not the entire roster does not change. That depends on your market. I mean, Fort Wayne it had changes the same, enough though that it's hard to to come on to to keep a rivalry going. A rivalry is a rivalry. That's like saying that Fort Wayne Toledo, because the uh, roster changes every year, isn't the best, isn't okay, the biggest rivalry of the league. Right, but you're naming the biggest rivalry. You just said how Fort Wayne has something going on with Allen, and then they didn't schedule them for years. But it's like, well, you're not going to just make a point because of one. Well, you you can't have it both ways, Jacob. You can't right. say, well, Toledo-Fort Wayne isn't a rivalry because the roster changes every year, but that doesn't hold true for Fort Wayne versus Allen. Well, how many teams in even any sport are true rivals, no matter the like how many for each team in professional sports, how many true rivals do they have that it doesn't matter who's on the team. They just the fans hate the other team. I'd say one, maybe two. Oh, I I think it's more than that. I I understand what you're saying. I I do understand what you're saying, but you're not accounting for some things. And every potential potential, every potential rivalry has a different dynamic. So when it was Fort Wayne Allen, it was really as much about the coaches and the organizations as anything else. Cause Steve Martinson was down in Allen for a long time and he has a long history with Fort Wayne and the fans want to see Fort Wayne beat Steve Martinson. So that was the one thing with that. I, I do understand what you're saying, but sometimes just two or three players being back is enough, but okay. So you're okay with that. Um, I don't know. I mean, I would say if Fort Wayne 
plays Rapid City. And there's bench clearing brawls every night for the three and three in one town that they're playing. I think consideration should be made to keep those teams playing because they don't like each other, even if there's only a couple players back the next season. Fair enough. But I, I understand what you're saying. But I will say this is something that fans clamor about a lot in a lot of cities. Like why is something was really budding with that team? Like, why don't we see them again? But what makes it frustrating, because I am empathetic to the travel. Like if we're using Rapid City Fort Wayne as a right, like, that's not an easy trip. I get it. But you if we delved into the schedule, sometimes you will see a team be in an area and not play all the teams in the area. So let me ask I'm you trying to remember would yeah. you like three and threes if it was the same team three games in a row? If it was like a series. I'd be more okay with that. Right. I know that obviously it's not ideal that you have them playing back to back to back, but if they're not traveling, you'd be more into it. Well, yes. And that happens. I think it's Idaho. Right. Uh, that's the way they have to schedule things a lot is they'll play. I think it's like Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, or something like that. Three, you know, the same, that's not three and three, but yeah. it's the same team, <laughs> right. okay. yeah. three straight games. Sure. But the concept of three and three, I mean, it, I, it, it does happen occasionally. So I'm more okay with that. But what I don't like is I wish I could remember the team. It might've been Allen. They like came to the Midwest and played like Kalamazoo and Toledo and then played somebody else, but didn't play Fort Wayne. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Like you're right here. Like you complain about travel costs and whatnot. You're right here. They could have easily played here the next night because Fort Wayne was playing somebody else. Um, so sometimes you just see these weird quirks in the schedule and it's like, did nobody look at this and think they could have saved this team hundreds, thousands of dollars by just having them drive 120 miles down the road and play the other team right there instead of sending them back to Wichita or wherever they were going. I, there are instances of like of that. So fair enough. The, the scheduling can be improved, but it's not, it's not easy. I understand. It's For not sure. easy because of the geography. It's particularly not easy how do we overhaul some of the league awards? I know we had our own award show and there were some things we liked from the way you did at that. If we could, we'd change. Well, you know, I, I don't know that there's a perfect formula. Um, and it's not just player awards that I'm talking. I'm also talking front office awards. Um, you know, this is a bit of a hot button issue where I am not to keep bringing up Fort Wayne, but Fort Wayne has been one of the most successful franchises in every available metric over the last 10 years. And if you look, they have barely won anything. I mean, we're talking, they send out these things about business awards. You can't tell me with a straight face that Fort Wayne shouldn't be winning a bunch of those. Um, but, you know, there's just, there's something not quite working with all of the awards and I'm not sure how you fix it. Maybe you need to get more of a fan vote. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a panel. Maybe that's what we need. And there's not always transparency with all the awards. Some of them are given out by the league office. Some of them are coaches. I, I don't know, but we could go through some instances and be like, well, that was a, a strange choice there. Um, does the media get a vote? Uh, it does, but how much media is covering the league? How do they, integrate the media votes into that i'm not sure they actually got rid of the media award this is the only league that i can think of that doesn't give out a media award i find that very strange so there are some behind the scenes thing but when i say awards the thing that immediately comes to my mind 
is a lot of these business awards. How about this? Like they give out a, uh, a broadcaster of the year award. And I think the broadcasters vote on it, but the broadcasters are, they don't hear other broadcasters because they're calling their own games. Right. They give out a media relations award. That one, they don't let the media vote on. So they're, <laughs> they're not choosing the media for media relations votes. Like that's that very strange. There's a lot of in-house things they do that I think they could improve a little bit. One more thing I think is important uh, before we get to our, before we finish this topic, the website and the stats. Um, I know I, you love the stats on the website. I do not. And <laughs> I think it uh, needs some work. And I think, I don't think it'll be, I don't think it needs to be drastic. I think the one thing is just a more, a more easy to navigate stats page. Like if you go, if there, there's other ways to get like the official, like, stats or whatever it's like the media site or whatever but it shouldn't be too hard to see who are certain leaders and stats like it should be more accessible i think well yeah i mean the, look the league website it needs some help i mean it, it has yeah. for a long time and but you're on to the biggest thing is fans reporters whoever they need to be able to go and easily search for whatever statistic they're looking for and it doesn't work that way right now is as you know some of the media folks and the broadcasters we're all using these like basically backdoor entrances to different uh statistical platforms to get those stats and it's very difficult to navigate their website it does some crazy things to me um it's not fan friendly um along those lines i mean i do feel like the social media and some of the sharing of clips that can be improved mm -hmm. um you know, there's all these stories out in the league, and I'd like to see them tell a few more of them, you know, of all these interesting, great players in the league, things that's going on. Um, and they should be encouraging, as you as you brought up a little bit earlier, they should be encouraging the sharing of clips. I mean, there has been in my in the last 20 years, there's been very different uh, philosophies from sports leagues about whether you restrict the sharing of content or whether you or whether you encourage it. The NBA is a great example. They recognized early on, the more people that share clips of LeBron with some great dunk, the better it is for us. So they're like, go ahead, go ahead, share away. It's fine. Other T other leagues are like, no, 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 no. Cease and desist order. So, you know, I, I hear from people all the time, like, Hey, I posted this fight clip and the ECHL's threatening me with action and they're making me take it down. I don't understand why this isn't good for the league. Nobody's saving this stuff. And hundred percent agree with them. Like I understand that there's a subscription based service for um, pay-per-view named flow hockey. And that's great, but that doesn't mean people shouldn't be able to share some clips because what you need to understand is the more people sharing your clips and talking about your league, the more likely they are going to be to invest money in your league the yep. more likely they're going to be able to subscribe. I mean, this is stuff I teach at college level. This is simple stuff. And there are certain leagues that just dig in their heels and they're like, no, 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 we're going to police that. We don't want you putting this clip or that clip out there. And I just think yeah. you're really doing that at your own peril because people are, you know, you get this reputation being difficult to work with or people don't want to share your clips and that's not good for the gander. For sure. All right. Before we close off today's show, let's do one more segment. Um, and this is interesting. This came up a bit when we talked to Aaron Luchek last week about how he ended up back in Orlando. And it made us think about, you know, what are the keys to signing free agents in the ECHL? You know, it, it, because really it's more than just money. Yeah. I mean, look, money plays a part. Of course. Uh, 
one of the biggest things that I have found is you need to prove to a, a potential player that if you come here, you know, if they're of a certain age, you have a great opportunity to move up. Okay. Maybe you don't have an AHL contract, but I can tell you what some teams do is they arrange training camp spots for players at the AHL level and sometimes even at the NHL level. So mm-hmm. you sign with us, you're going to get a look from Red Wings camp or Grand Rapids Griffins camp, yeah. something like that. And that's a great way to sell a player. The other thing you can do is, you know, you could show them, hey, we've got this big track record of guys getting called up. And if you come here, you'll get a great chance to do that. Or guys are going to be set down and that's going to help us. I know that there was one team out there basically alleging that another team uh, has um, prevented players from getting called up, um, which with these two particular teams, I happen to know that was not the case. But if you are able to get that story out there, then players... That reputation, if you have a bad reputation for like blocking call-ups, and there are teams in this league that do block call-ups, I know it. Um, if you get that reputation of being one of those teams, guys are not going to sign with you. For because sure. Because at the end of the day, they want to get called up. But now if you're talking about an older player, yeah, you know, they got families. You know, they want to go to a place where, you know, they may be thinking about a lot of different things. You know, am I going to have a house? Are you going to help me pay for a house? Um, are you gonna be open to that? What's the schooling like? You know, all kinds of things like that. So you can pretty much see certain destinations have become popular with players, even older players, you know, Toledo, Fort Wayne, those are great examples. Florida, that's another great example. And then you see other teams, they may struggle a little bit. Um, and of course, like any league, you know, what's what's the city like? You know, mm-hmm. uh was it Luchik was talking about Orlando. Um, you know, we've People love playing in Orlando for obvious reasons. A little bit different if you're going to, you know, let's say Wheeling. You know, that might Hmm. not quite be your style. So all those things factor into it. But at the end of the day, I think it's about money and it's about call-ups. But you also need to prove, hey, we're going to be a good team. You know, like if you have a history of not being a good team, not making the playoffs, it's going to be a tougher sell, right? I mean, if you're weighing Toledo versus Kalamazoo, you know, one team, they get guys going up to Grand Rapids all the time. They go to, uh, you know, they go to Kelly Cup Finals. Excuse me, I almost said Turner Cup. They go to Kelly Cup Finals. Uh, the other, they haven't really whiffed the playoffs in the last few years. Uh, seems like an easy choice, but all these factors play in for sure. Just to give my two cents, I also wonder how much the recruiter, so the coach or in the odd chance, the GM, but it's usually the coach, right? That'll be the ones. Usually, yeah. yeah. All right. So I wonder how much the coach can really, you know, they're the one recruiting you. They're the one that'll be playing you. There a lot of the time isn't that agent buffer where I shouldn't say that there are still agents, but a lot of the time I know that coaches will call a guy and get on the phone and level with them. I wonder how much of that. So I wonder how much of that plays a part too, the coach and how, because of how big they are in the program, as we mentioned earlier. Yeah, hundred percent. You've got to be a great recruiter. You know, yep. I mean, you got to be able to convince these guys. You know, come ice time. Sure. Um, you know, it's it's about more than money. You know, ice time and uh, the system and you know, are you an offensive defenseman? You know, what are your stats going to look like here? Uh, you definitely see certain college programs. You know, University of New Brunswick has a now a longstanding relationship with Fort Wayne, so their players are always going here. So you see 
ties between certain universities, certain teams, certain agents, certain For teams. Sure. Absolutely. Um, some teams have a scout that is kind of out there on the road, believe it or not, and is also helping make connections with these guys. For sure. Um, but yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Your recruiting pitch has to be good because you know you don't want to be rebuilding on the fly. So the team you put together in the summer is you know that's very important. And you know if if you don't recruit well, you could end up losing your job. I mean that that has played into more than a few uh, of the recent uh, you know coaching changes. Absolutely. And uh, with that, I think we're going to cap today's show here. Thank you to everyone for listening. We'll get you next week. And that's it, I think, for our constructive referendums of this league as a whole uh, until maybe next week or the week after. Who knows at this rate? Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll, we'll catch you next week.